Euh, dites donc, Nadej, euh, comment aviez-vous recruté le nouveau si rapidement la dernière fois Bah, LinkedIn. Ah bon, parce que là, j'ai besoin de toute urgence d'un ingénieur en IA. Alors, où est-ce qu'on peut le trouver Bah, LinkedIn. Mais j'ai pas le temps de voir mille candidats, moi. Comment on va faire Bah, LinkedIn. Bah, 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 bah. Vu l'urgence, vous êtes vraiment confiante, Nadej Bah, oui. Avec 8 personnes recrutées par minute sur LinkedIn, pour tous vos recrutements, il y a, bah, LinkedIn. Pour en savoir plus, rendez-vous sur linkedin.com slash je recrute. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. My next interview is with a returning guest, Greg Paul. He's a Torontonian who has a whole lot to say about injustice and, and social justice and about uh, religion and about community and about uh, giving back in a variety of ways. He's, he's, well, we're here to talk today about his new book, Resurrecting Religion, subtitled Finding Our Way Back to the Good News. And I ask, uh, I ask Greg some pretty tough questions. We, we cover a lot of ground in this interview. We talk about spiritual belief. We talk about this idea of um, uh, the problem with spirituality and what does that even mean. We talk about 25 years of community and actual oppression and how these things are just so real. We talk about profound selfishness and, and why this idea of not being religious is kind of oxymoronic. We talk about uh, the articulation. Here's a great phrase for you. We talk about the articulation of what and, and Greg's honesty and his, his authentic approach to all of this and, and uh, what, where, where he talks about this enormous problem Uh, of faith. And so in this, uh, we talk, we, we, we get pretty vulnerable. I think you're going to really enjoy the interview. The book is, is marvelous, but you want to pick it up, Resurrecting Religion, Finding Our Way Back to the Good News. And don't forget davidpecklive.com for information about my writing and my speaking and face-to-facelive.ca for, for more information about the podcasting I'm doing coming up again on 400 interviews. I know I've been saying that for a little while, but it really feels close now. And patreon.com if you want to come alongside and support me on a, a monthly basis and try to keep Face-to-Face Live, um, you know, relevant and real and uh, hmm, relational. How's that for a little alliteration? Coming right up, Greg Paul, Resurrecting Religion. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by a very special guest today. Greg Paul is here with us today to talk about his new book, Resurrecting Religion, Finding Our Way Back to the Good News. Greg, thanks for joining me today. It's a pleasure, David. Thanks It's for a, asking me. And you, you just, you just, we were going to actually do this interview on your boat, yeah, and this boat. wicked thunderstorm comes in, yeah, and kind of changed. Spectacular on the boat. Yeah. And, and ch- spectacular. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 lightning. 
I didn't see any lightning, no. but I heard the thunder, and what was spectacular actually was the wind and the, and the, just the sheer quantity of rain. Trop- so it tropical. Was, it, tropical. It was just a dump. Yeah. Southeast Amazing. Asian. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I drove through some of it, so well, yeah. we're glad to be alive. Yeah, glad, I'm, glad to I'm be very here with glad you today. To be alive. Yeah. So, 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 I, I, I've been, we, we've been trying to make this happen for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I've been dying to to go in a little deeper. I mean, I, the, t- the title alone, I think, is going to, I would imagine, draw people in, and I'm, I'm certainly interested to hear a little bit more about um, what the word on the street is, how people have been reacting, but resurrecting religion, um, how so? Well, I mean, religion is such a polarizing word, isn't it? And and uh, I mean, I think that. I mean, I had some concerns actually about including it in the title because I, I felt that uh, there's an awful lot of people who, for good reason, would just dismiss anything. You would just, al- do just with, alienate do them yeah. right out of the gate, and that would include religious people. Right. <laughs> Strangely right. enough, there's, you know, part of my big part of my beef in the book is there's an awful lot of of. Uh, Specifically, Christian religious people who pretend or, or 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 claim that they are not religious. It's about relationship with Jesus, and and you know, so what we do isn't religion, and and so on, and and uh, you know, honestly, I think it really misses the point, and I think it's actually a dangerous way of thinking because when you know, when you say that you have a spiritual belief, and you say that that spiritual belief is really important to you and it, and it animates who you are and how you see the world and how you act in the world, then if you say that you don't have a religious way of, of working that out, of living that out, if you don't have religion, then the spiritual aspect of it is, is really personal and individual and it becomes quite private or potentially is quite private. So you hear lots of people who will say things like, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Right. And Christians yep. who say, well, I'm not religious, but I have a personal relationship with Jesus. And, and you know, which is honestly is kind of a strange sort of thing to say. But some, some, some might say that East, <laughs> Eastern religions might be more spiritual. Yes, or, yeah. Or at least that's yeah, our some, perception yeah. in the West. Yeah, I'm not I, I sure that's a, necessarily a friend true. Some years ago, uh, who was a Buddhist guy, um, and we were working together actually on a, on a statement um, about poverty and justice stuff and used proposed the word I think religion maybe or faith I think it's actually faith and he said well we're actually not a faith we're actually not a religion it's actually just a, a spirituality anyway the problem with spirituality is that it is individual and private and and um, when we say that we're not religious we give ourselves a pass on having to live this communally publicly in a way that's accountable and so on, and that's certainly not as a, as a Christian. I try to follow Jesus, so um, so that's certainly not what Jesus taught. It's not what his disciples. Why, lived. why why do you get to write this book? Why do I get to yeah. write this book? Yeah. I don't know because the idea that uh, all the stuff that I keep hearing about people on the one hand saying uh, religion is bad, mm. and there's tons of good reasons for saying religion mm-hmm. is bad. You get into quite a bit of that. Yeah, and and on the other hand. Um, people saying I'm spiritual but not religious just kind of makes me angry. <laughs> well, and you've been deeply seated yeah. in community yeah. and living out some of the stuff as you unpack in the book through some really, I hope I hope you tell some of these stories. Matt, for instance, comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, some of the stories that you tell of the people that you know and yeah, how they've been either treated painful. or maybe mistreated. Yeah, yeah. In, a lot in, of painful stories. So, 
I guess what you're getting at is is that I mean what's written in this book really is rooted in 25 years more more than 25 years of experience in in a community called Sanctuary in Toronto that focuses itself um, around people who are poor and excluded and rejected by the rest of society. So people who are struggling with addictions, mental illness, homelessness, uh, post-trauma issues, First Nations people who you know suffered the 60s scoop and all of the crap that comes with that, um, generational, multi-generational mm-hmm, crap mm-hmm. that comes with it. So those are our folks. Those are, when I say we've, we've formed a community around those people, quote-unquote, what I mean is is that the community is about people who are poor and excluded. They're at the center of it, which I, which I believe is what Jesus taught. Would, would you say, Greg, that in a way we're all <laughs> we're all poor and excluded? And I do not want to devalue uh, the 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 monetary component of that, the financial angle to that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, I guess maybe what I'm getting at is yeah, the, no, I don't, I don't agree with it. Okay. I mean, I I think is there, are there ways that we're poor? Yeah, sure. Are there ways that we're excluded? Yeah, sure. But but let me tell you, um, the guy like me who goes home to his own home and sleeps in his own bed, if he's dealing with a poverty of some sort or exclusion of some sort. It's on a whole different scale than one of my friends who rolls up underneath a bridge at night, mm. you know. So, and certainly the stuff that Jesus talks about and taught was was focused on people who were materially poor, who were actually oppressed in sy- systemic ways, um, and, and people who were rejected in very clear fashion, you know, people on the outside of society. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he, he, he grows up, and if you believe Christian theology as I do, this is the Son of God who chooses to become manifest uh, in a poor family who's on the road. They're actually homeless at the time mm, in a right. nation that's that's under the oppression of the Roman Empire. You know, and then later they become refugees because they're getting hunted. So, so it's very material. It's very real. And, and I think there's a danger when we say, well, you know, we're all poor, we're all excluded, because, because, because then what we're able to do is say, well, so we don't really have to deal with issues of poverty and social justice and, uh, you know, the, the material stuff. Another, then it all becomes interior. Another, another reason maybe to slide into some sort of complacent Yeah, I think so. So where I, I mean, I grew up in a quite a fundamentalist evangelical place, and 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 in general, evangelicals are much more concerned with saving the soul than they are in in caring for the body. Right. But James, the biblical writer, who's also the brother of Jesus, actually says, "Well, you know, if if you say to your brother, be blessed, and you don't help him with food and and clothing, then you're a fo- you're a fake." I'm paraphrasing, but that's right, what he says. Right. You know, it's not real. This is not real faith. This is not real religion, nor is it a real spirituality. You you, you talk a fair bit about that in mm-hmm. the book, certainly out of the gate in the beginning. I want to quote you here in a second. But you talk about bad, crazy, and vicious religion, <laughs> yes. which just made me laugh out yeah. loud. Yeah, I think most, it, isn't well, it? The, well, there is. Yeah. And and it comes in various forms, and you see it on television. And how about the have you heard about, and I can't remember his name, thankfully, but some some faith healer, evangelical, whatever you want to call him, is praying for his fourth Learjet or something. That's right, $54 million yeah, jet. Fi- yes. He needs a fourth yes. one. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, maybe thir- the other ones he has I could to live stop with a, and refuel. I could live know, with so. a $30 million jet. But. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, you know, I think all of us can feel the pain of somebody who only has three jets. <laughs> that's so. Speaking of being excluded, <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on, exactly. let's get let's get yeah, the cards I mean, on the table just, here, Greg. That's just ludicrous. That's I mean, right. everybody know, except that guy knows that that's, that's ludicrous. But I mean, and, and and the fact that we're joking about it in such a way, I mean, the absurdity of it, yeah. right? Yeah. And I mean, where's the where's maybe there is self awareness, which makes it even more tragic, yeah. Yeah. right? But well, we, we live in a world that's becoming increasingly absurd. I mean, the political scene in, in, uh, in Britain, Canada, the U.S., is just, it's just it's crazy at this point, um, at least in Ontario uh, recently. And I think that one of the challenges that is often driven or at least supported by people who claim to be making decisions that appear to be motivated by a profound um, greediness and selfishness, and they claim they're making those decisions based on on religious tenets. You know, I'm speaking specifically of Christian people. So, uh, this is where the the faith that's private and internal doesn't walk in the real world, mm-hmm. because part of the reason that people are able to say. Um, you know, we're you know I'm a follower of Jesus, and and by all means, let's 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 intern uh, children of illegal immigrants. Um, let's slash budgets to uh, that are supporting um, overdose prevention sites. You know, on and on, all that kind of stuff. The reason we're able to do that is because because for us i'm speaking it now yes. as if i was still an evangelical <laughs> right. but for us the issue then it really is about the soul so as long as the soul saved well yes. frankly who the hell cares what happens yes. to the body yeah who gives a rat's house about yeah. the body so um and so then we're set free right we're set free to make these decisions that are are as i said profoundly selfish and we see people are doing it and and we buy into a politics of fear and exclusion and it's not what Jesus taught. So Christians who, who live in that way receive the salvation that Jesus offers by dying on the cross and being resurrected, but they're not the least bit interested in him as a teacher or as a model for their lives. So Storyteller. Yeah, but more than, more than a storyteller. He's not just somebody who is announcing something. He's somebody who's living something. Right. So um, I think... If if you want to claim to be a follower of Jesus, which most Christians do, then you need to be willing to go where Jesus went and do what Jesus did. It's pretty simple, really. I mean, it's not easy, but it's simple when you say it that way. So where did he go? He went to people who were poor and excluded. What did he do? He fed them. He healed them. He uh, listened to them. He embraced the people who were unembraceable. Raised the dead. He flipped the tables in, in the in the temple. You know, maybe that's a challenge of bad so this economics. Is, this is practical action. Yeah. And I think, see, this is what it requires. And that's, right. what, that's what James, his brother, talks about. He says, you know, faith without works is dead. If you, if you aren't actually doing something with your faith, and, and that something isn't done in a fashion that's communal and engages people outside of your own immediate family and that little coterie of yours and your, of, of your folks, it's not real. Not real. It's not so what, what you, Jesus taught. So what do you do with folks who, who wouldn't call themselves Christians, I mm-hmm. suppose, but who, who are still doing who are still living out that type of or living their lives within a, a community of action? They're uh, they're working at a clinic. 
Yeah, I've got know, tremendous like, admiration for them. I work with lots of people like that. You know, no, our, our, our staff um, at Sanctuary, where I, I work, partners with all sorts of people across the city who are doing amazing work, and I've got nothing but admiration for them. So folks. that's an expression of faith for you yeah. and for a practical, active uh, Christian that's living out this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, faith and so on. And for this other person could be just, this is, well, why wouldn't you? do this or this is about doing good or about yeah, helping the yeah. world so right w- let me just define what i mean by religion good. because yeah, there's, there's tons of question about that and i'll come back to bad what crazy and vicious it's not whatever it is <laughs> i i would argue that religion is is how you actually live out publicly and communally what you really actually believe internally and privately so whatever you say about what you believe internally and privately, if you're not living that out in some public communal fashion, then you don't actually believe it. So when when I come across people who are atheists who are working at uh, overdose prevention sites, let's say, or who are doing amazing social work with, with people who, you know, with women who are, who are battered and abused, um, my conclusion is that um, although they might not want to be described as religious, what they're doing is they're actually living out publicly and communally what they really believe. And what they really believe, at the very least, is that human beings have incredible value and, and that the whole world is better off if the least of these nice. are placed at the center of the community. And, and we've seen that this works, right? And this should not be a surprise if, for, for those who are followers of Jesus and believe that Jesus is God. <laughs> if, if he taught this, then you would expect it to work. Well, actually, surprisingly, it does. It does work when you put people who are poor and excluded at the center of the community. Um, at, you know, as we speak, uh, Ed Broadbent, uh, former NDP leader, is, is challenging the Prime Minister of Canada, uh, Justin Trudeau, uh, to, to say, you know, you've got to look past the middle class. If, if you can't put the peop- the, put at the center of the political agenda the people who are poorest the most excluded in the country, you're missing the point. And he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. And in their better moments, politicians of every stripe and religious leaders of every stripe uh, in, all across history and in every culture, have actually said that, mm, essentially mm, that. Mm. The measure of any civilization is, uh, is how it treats the poorest and most excluded people within it. I can't remember who, uh, the, it might even have been a Russian philosopher, is it Miroslav uh, Wolf, who said how you treat your prisoners, uh, which yeah. is essentially yeah. you're poor and you're yeah. excluded and sure. you're most uh, oppressed, yeah, I suppose, in a particular quote, way. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, perfect sense. You want to, you want to find out how the the country is operating. Go go to your prisons and exactly. see see what's happening yeah. there. That'll yeah, and we can see. I mean, here in Canada, for instance, we have 25, 20 to twenty five percent of our incarcerated people are, are First Nations folks, mm. who only make up about three percent of our general population. So, uh, to your point, that tells us something about what's going on in our society, doesn't it? Quote, given the travesties the church has committed in the past and the nonsense it still gets stuck in today, it's tempting to just chuck the whole notion of religion into the waste bin of failed concepts. Mighty tempting indeed, especially when we ourselves are also guilty of many of those inconsistencies, close quote. 
So that's you. Yep. You, probably, you probably remember writing that. Yes. You might even remember where you were when you wrote that. No, I don't. Oh, you I don't? No. No, not on your boat in, <laughs> on your boat in a thunderstorm? No, it wasn't, no. No? Bummer. <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess, and you've kind of, I think, already, I mean, you're already answering this question, I suppose, but why bother resurrecting? Yeah. Like, why bother at all? Yeah. I mean, I know what you're doing with resurrecting religion, yeah. but yeah. why bother? Yeah. So um, I guess the argument is that we need to live, right? We need to live. And, and the word resurrecting in the title here implies that, that what we have been doing is actually dead. Mm. And it needs to be mm. brought back to life. In this fact, is it, the bad, the crazy, yeah, and the vicious? Yeah. Or, or the, um, hmm, the ineffective. Right. The okay. irrelevant, um, you know, the, the kind of religion that expresses itself almost exclusively in a one or two hour religious show that's put on in a dedicated building on a Sunday morning, which is what most churches do. Um, that's not actually living the gospel that Jesus taught. So does, I, I believe that it, it can change the world, actually. It has changed the world in, in specific places, in specific times, when it's actually been lived out. Um, a great many of, of the social advances of the late 1800s, early 1900s in Great Britain and North America were brought about by people who were living out what they understood to be the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So everything from, um, uh, from labor reform to the abolition of slavery to even significant figure, figures within the, the women's suffragette movement. Um, so all of those, those people had a tremendous impact. So how does it go? How does it go so sideways? Yeah, you know, and I know that there are lots of people asking these questions, sociologists yeah. and historians and theologians, and you know, yeah, because it it's gone kind of sideways. Yeah, I think it's wealth and power. That's what derailed it in the first place. So, Christianity. Um, it's a guy named um, Alan Hirsch, written a book called Forgotten Ways, and and he details the growth of the church in the first three or four centuries before Constantine. Um, and it was exponential. So 25,000 became, you know, 200,000 right. became 25, 20 million or something, which was enormous in the scope of the world at the time. Enormous percentage of the world's population had become Christian by the time of Constantine. Which is part of the reason that Constantine converted, probably. Because it was a political advantage, right? And and to the Christians at the time, it looked like a great advantage to have the Roman emperor convert. But what it did was it it wedded Christian faith, which was which was always about putting the poor and the excluded at the center, with the centers of wealth and power, and and it put wealth and power at the center, and that really was what drove the Reformation. Uh, you know, fourteen what eleven hundred years later. Um, started earlier than that but but really what drove the reformation was was the sense that the church had become the roman catholic church in this case um that's all there was at the time of course but but that the church had become uh become its own center of power it was one of the great governments of europe at the time it had a standing army the pope crowned the kings of europe when napoleon even as late as 18 1801 or something, when Napoleon wanted to be recognized as an emperor, he forced the Pope mm. to crown him because that was how you're going to be recognized as the emperor. So 
So the church became this this extremely powerful thing and totally lost well, the gospel. A, a weapon. Yes. I mean, you talk about weapons of love, mm-hmm. by the way, in the book, which I love, which I really, I just, I think it's delightful <laughs> turn, turn, turn of phrase. But, but yeah, wep- weaponized religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, power. So, so it all became about power, and of course, they used that power, and they abused anybody who didn't think the way they did, and and we're seeing replays of that, aren't we? We're seeing replays of sure. that in, especially in American politics. You don't think the way we think we're we're going to run you out of the country. Oh, we're going to abuse you. You don't have the same color of skin that we do. We're, we're going to mistreat you. And boy, recent um, election results in Ontario here I, uh, really leave me afraid that we're headed for the same sort of thing here in pockets in Canada. So, um, And that seems to have driven Brexit. You know, there, there's something going on in the world. There's a rise of neo-Nazism in, in Germany and Poland and places like well, Vatican. And, it's, and it's, it's, it seems like it's built on exclusion. Mm-hmm. Not not community, absolutely anti relational, or it's relational as long as it's within the confines of my uh, pressure treated fence. Yes. So at its nub, though, it's all about power and control, right? It's the religion of power mm-hmm. and control, mm-hmm. and um, you know, great swaths of of the church and Christendom have bought the idea that the way for the church to be effective is to be powerful and to be in control. Well, it's bullshit. It's not at all what Jesus taught, nor is it when he lived. So, you know, Jesus teaches his disciples, you want to follow me? You're going to have to pick up your cross and carry it. Which might actually just mean listening in, in, in a particular context. Well, that might, might be one expression of it. Right, exactly. But, That's what I'm going to But I think over to. the context of a life, it, um, it's going to mean sacrifice. Mm. It's going to mean laying mm. your life out somehow. Um. And, uh, you know, I, I, I should offer the caveat at this point, or, or the mea culpa, that I'm, I am a wealthy guy relative to the people that I You admit work that among. in the book as well. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I'm not wealthy by most, like lots of North American standards and, and uh, have worked for wages all my life. But, but relative to the world mm-hmm. and relative mm-hmm. to my people, I'm a wealthy guy. We reference my boat. I have a boat. Mm-hmm. It means I'm a wealthy guy. I mean, it's a six-foot rowboat with holes, but it's a boat. <laughs> it's actually bigger than that. I have a car. I have a house, you know? Um, Comic book collection. I mean, come on. I'm a wealthy guy, so I need to acknowledge that, and that's where you know my own inconsistencies come in. And trying to balance all of that stuff is not easy because... Well, we're all, we're all walking contradictions, really, on sure. some level, right? And I think that's part of the... Isn't that part of the the, the, the failure of, of politicians, the church, et cetera, those in power, the, this inability to be transparent, yeah. to be authentic, to be relational? Yeah. And we're, we're, we're broken. And to, and to acknowledge our, mm-hmm. our faults and failures, right? So on the other hand, I mean, I've also had the great privilege of, of spending the last 26-plus uh, years of my life walking with people who have almost nothing, mm. you know, and doing that daily. And finding ways to live our lives together in, in some fashion. You talk so. about you talk a lot about a lot about in you in the beginning, and I think it's sort of a thread throughout that this and this appeals to me philosophically. Um, this demolishing of assumptions. Mm. So we have this shift, Constantine, that the church, this power, its oppression. When people talk about religion, back to your original point about hesitating, even maybe using religion in the title. When we talk about it in a conversation, we're going to maybe go out for dinner later. If we go over to somebody, you know, at uh, table 12B and we start talking about religion, how many things are you going to have to 
peel back? How many layers are you going to have to uh, reveal before we're actually talking about the same thing? Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, is no, it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Because I, I, yeah. I think the, the first thing you have to address is the fact that there's, there's all of this bad, toxic, you know, violent religion out there crazy stuff and we, and we all know that and even religious people know that and don't want to be associated with it so we know that that uh, in the name of religion people do and have done really really horrible things so that needs to be the first acknowledgement that yes that's the case and yes that's the case even in my own faith you know and and almost certainly it's it's also been the case in my own particular stream of my particular faith <laughs> you know if you want to get into denominational stuff and so on so we need to acknowledge that. But then I think the next thing to, to, to say when we're talking about religion is, look, think about it this way. Re religion is actually, um, is actually the animation of what you believe. Mm. Nice. So uh, I use the image in, in the book that comes from uh, one of the Old Testament prophets of, of a skeleton or a valley of dry bones that are lying dead. And as the prophet watches, the spirit speaks over it and breathes over it. And, and the skeletons are brought together and ligaments grow on them and flesh grows on them. And they're, they're actually re-ligamented. And the word religion is very close to the idea of re-ligamenting. Mm. It comes from ligament and religion come from the same Latin root, root religare which means to be bound together. So our bones are bound one to another by ligament. And it's that binding together that allows us to articulate our limbs. And it's the binding together of one person to another person to another and to another in a community, the way a, a, the, a body the, the is body. built, that, that allows us to articulate what we actually believe. Mm. Um, so I would argue that, that it's impossible for us to fully live out what we say we believe in isolation. Or even individually. And is, and is that why you, part of the reason why you haven't chucked it? Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, I, so the greatest struggles of my life have been trying to figure out, um, you know, the big philosophical, theological questions about why does all of this bad stuff happen? Well, prob problem to, of, I want, it's the first thing I wanted to ask you about was the problem of evil. Yeah, I so figured I was, it would come and, up. and why does it all happen to my friends? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And why didn't it happen to me? So this is an enormous yeah problem of faith for me but at the same time it's being with those people that uh that that fills my life up um i you know i've i've experienced a tremendous amount of grief in my life i've, I've had dozens literally dozens upon dozens upon dozens of friends who have died in horrible ways through the years and this is an enormous burden for me honestly um but you know what helps me bear that burden is talking with other people in my community who, who understand, who get it. And strangely enough, the carrying of that grief and the experiencing of that grief, I think, has expanded my capacity for joy. Hmm. So here I am after 26 plus years of, of working in a community in, in the kind of situation that burns out, usually burns out social workers for in, in a matter of a few years, I've been there for a quarter of a century, and and I'm I feel like I've I've never had more joy in my life, but I would say I've also never had more grief. So there's some kind of magic in it, mm -hmm. for lack of a better word. Um, there's a beauty in it. There's a joyfulness in it that I don't get elsewhere. And I think that's 
the proof that Jesus was right. Jesus was teaching something that works for us, something that has meaning. You know, I've, I've got friends who are tremendously successful in business, and, and there's not much joy in their lives. They're driven by the needs of, of the company. They're driven by the needs sometimes of their family, but they, they never get to live this kind of communal thing that's so beautiful and powerful. What do you, what do, you do with the atheist uh, who, who, or agnostic who says, well, yeah, you know what, I don't, I don't need any of that, Greg. I don't need Christ. I don't need Jesus. I don't need religion or God or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I'm, I'm living a pretty simple life up in northern Ontario yeah. and helping out people from time to time, right? I say, okay. <laughs> live your life live your life yeah yes. live your life yeah love but, your family but i would also say uh, you know where you know in my old evangelical background right. i would have spent a lot of time first off trying to trying to persuade them that they needed to come face to face with jesus and you know confess their sin and get saved and and all of that um which i leave, still leave i still believe that them. by the way that uh-huh. that's all necessary or important stuff but but i would probably at this point with somebody like that say just come and hang out with my people for a bit and see what you see what you think yeah you got a great story come and hang uh, out in, in the book near the end of the book about matt and yeah. what happens to matt and this person in a position of power and yeah and isn't isn't that the intro just come and come and hang out yeah just come and hang out yeah and in the story it's referred to as a story about I think you're referring to Michael Bryant, who, mm. who you know, who was the Attorney General of, of uh, Ontario and went through a thing where he um, there was an accident and uh, and he ended up killing a, a guy who was a bicycle courier and had been in and out of our community for years. And um, regardless of what you think about Michael's culpability in that particular scenario, the reality was that, that Michael was also a guy who was, had been really battered by life. I mean, he lost his political career. His marriage died. His uh, close family member died in that period of time. And, and, and he was a recovering alcoholic. <laughs> this guy had been through the mill. And, and it was on that basis that one of our people reached out to him, not because he was powerful, but because he was battered and bruised. And we thought, ah, there's a guy who belongs to us. This will make sense to him. And in that vulnerability, you know, ten years earlier, it not would have made any sense to Michael. Mm. Would have made no sense to Michael. He would have seen the people in our community as other. Instead, he walked in our community, looked around the room, and and once he got over his initial fear of being there, he began to recognize people that looked like him. Slightly different skin, but. Uh, recognize his brothers and sisters. So is that is that is so. that is that your job to help others recognize that then? Oh, well, I think it's part of it. Yeah, so like I mean, ligament. We're all connected, aren't we? Exactly I mean, right. We, isn't right, this right, one yeah. big body? And we're all we're all made in the image of God, right? So so when I recognize that in you, I'm recognizing something also about me and about us together and about God, and and this this is binding us all together. So. So yeah, I mean, I guess I hadn't really thought about it like that, but I, th- I think that is part of my my role or our role at Sanctuary is is to say we belong together. We use we talk about that a lot. Um, folks in our community who who uh, have often grown up in abusive homes um, refer to Sanctuary's family. So they'll say this is the closest thing to family that I have, and this place is my home. And there's a be- there's a tragedy in that because mm-hmm. it's pretty impoverished kind of family and home but there's also a beauty in it it says I've got someplace where I matter and I belong 
And now the image of family has been reclaimed in some fashion for me. You know, what used to be an enclave of people who were going to hurt me, now it's a group right. of people who, who want to embrace me and who think I matter and have stuff to give and receive as also. So that's fundamentally what I mean by religion, is, is us living this out together communally. Um, I, I want to I ask a, a really practical question in a second, and I, and I mean, I know you get into it in the book, and, and uh, you know, you, you base it on some of the teachings in, in uh, the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but can we, can we come back to evil for a second? You, oh, you, sure. Why yeah, not? I know. It's, it's come back to evil. It's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Coming back to evil. Well, you, you talk about, uh, and I think uh, this is part of what, uh, I think we share a similar background. This is part of the reason that, uh, that I you know, pursued philosophy and mm. continue to read and, and go deep on, on certain issues and, and choose not to go deep on others, I suppose. But you, you talk about um, Matt, and I guess it's the big if question. You, know, mm. you referred to it earlier, why not me? Why are things the way they are mm-hmm. and you know, not some other way? And you know, it made me angry. I'm, I'm kind of quoting you here now. It's the hurdle I've struggled for years to get over in my relationship with God. Um, you said you, you know the theological arguments, but none of them satisfy. Mm-hmm. So again, I'm coming back, and I, I'm not, I don't I hope I'm not hammering you on this, but but you still haven't chucked it. No, right? And yet there is a lot of unanswered questions for you, which I think is fantastic, yeah. right? Yeah. And that being able a to admit that, but um, but I, yeah. Anyway, I think there's a lot uh, yeah. uh, I'm asking there, so sure. I'll, I'll let you run with it. So. Um, I think at, you know, at the simplest level, what I would say is that um, whether, whether I believe in the possibility of redemption or not, and I'm going to kind of use that word fairly gen- generically, that is, you know, something that's been bad can be made good. It, whether I believe in the possibility of redemption or not, uh, evil is. Bad shit happens, and it happens a lot. And uh, it seems like an awful lot of ha- an awful lot of it happens to the same people <laughs> over mm-hmm. and over, at least in my world. Um, and and so well, I've looked at that through the years and I've wondered, you know, why why does this particular guy that I really care deeply about why was he raised in an abusive home and I was raised in a, in a loving home? Why, because he was raised in an abusive home, did he end up on the street as a kid and then in jail and and um, and and then in and out of jail and then it, like a hardcore addiction and because of the addiction he got Hep C and because of Hep C he you know he he got um, he got liver cancer and died young. It's like just misery, misery all the way through. And this is the guy who had tremendous faith that I'm referring to actually, mm. a guy named Mike dear brother of mine um, and uh, and why did he experience all of that and I've relatively speaking it's been clear sailing for me through my life I mean I've had my stuff but but relative to a guy like Mike mm-hmm. so how do I deal with that evil in, in Mike's life and of course you refer to the equation well the equation the free will equation mm-hmm. is basically you know, if you believe in a God who is love, God wants us to love him, wants his creation to love him, but love cannot be compelled or it's not love, therefore he has to give us free will. Because he gives us free will, we also have to have the capacity to choose evil as well as love. And I would argue that that, uh, that evil is actually the uh, opposite to love, um, not good, that love and evil are opposites. Um, and and so then you know 
evil infects other people and we know what happens. You know, a person gets abused and because he's been abused or she's been abused, they abuse somebody else and so on. Uh, so I understand that rationale, but it seems really paltry to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't figure out how you could have free will for um, for individual human beings and still prevent them from committing evil acts. But I'm not God, and I figure God should be able to figure that out. Right. <laughs> you know, because God's, you know, he's all-knowing. So he should be able to figure that out if I can. So that was a source of anger for me for many years. Um, the problem is that if I stop believing in a God who is good, if I stop believing in the possibility of redemption, evil still continues. And then not only is there... So what's the, so what's the alternative? What's is the that alternative? The, you're right. right. The alternative is despair. It's despair, right? You've got either the hope of something good or despair. And when I look at um, my friends who are atheists, um, who do good work and, and continue on faithfully through years and years and years, I have nothing but admiration for them. I think in many ways they have greater faith than I do. Hmm. Um, because they're hoping that somehow, somewhere, some way, you know, the thing will turn. There'll be a tipping point reached, and, and things will be better than they were. And people work all of their lives for, for change that's so incremental. And uh, you're looking back in history that you can see that there has been change. You know? mm-hmm. Of course, of, of a long lifetime, a guy... Like Wilbur, um, sorry, Wilberforce, right? William Wilberforce yeah. saw the end of slavery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took him like sixty years or something. But he, he happened to be at the right moment. He saw something so great. So he got to see something amazing. Um, he'd be very disappointed at how that's all worked out. I'm sure. But <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, it's funny, but not funny. But. Yeah. But he got to see something great. So 20, 28 million slaves, I think. Uh, for me, I guess I would also say, though, that I've seen people like my friend Mike who, because they have trusted, because they have put their faith in God who can redeem, that redemption actually begins to take place in their lives. There's meaning and power and beauty and joy and... And, and uh, rarely is there perfect healing. There's, there's never perfect healing. Right. Rarely there, is there even substantial healing, I, w- right. I would say. Right. But there's, right. some, there's a little bit. And there's progress. And, and, uh, and something happens that's good. And then, you know, uh, lately, I've sort of kind of, and I tell about it in, this, in the book, I sort of have come to the conclusion that when Jesus says, for instance, in the Beatitudes, which is kind of the charter I guess, right. of the kingdom of heaven, yes. according to Jesus. Robert's rules of order. <laughs> yes. He's blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs mm. is the kingdom of heaven. It's present tense. When he says poor in spirit, he means blessed are people who are spiritually bankrupt. He doesn't mean people who are humble. He doesn't mean people who have recognized, oh, I have spiritual need. He means people who are flat out broke spiritually. Um, and and he says that the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And, and I won't go through it all, but there's a lot of the Beatitudes that kind of reflect the same thing. And at the end of the day, I think what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to make it right in the kingdom of heaven. And uh, so I believe in an afterlife. And part of the reason that I continue to believe deeply in an afterlife is is because uh, it's the great hope I have for, for finally seeing justice done. Mm. Um, not just one day for some people at the end of the road, but for all people for all time. 
That's the great hope for me. I, I got a dozen other questions at least, but I think that's a, a pretty nice place to end this part of well, the interview. Well, hallelujah, Dad. Yeah, I think I, that's right. <laughs> I think I think there's going to need to be a part two, uh, great. for sure. But I mean, and, and, and I and I want to go. I want to go to why why Christianity? I mean, what 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 about? What, well, we've got a world of religions to yeah. choose from, and, and, and what are the commonalities, and, and what about grace? I mean, yeah. I know that that's been, uh, the, that's the thread through most You're of the You're such a writing. tease. <laughs> Do you want to get into that now? Or you, <laughs> well, well, you know what, you need to say something about grace, I think. Yeah, well, grace is the big difference, right? Isn't it? Right? Grace is, um, is, the, is the big Christian teaching. Uh, this, this teaching that no matter how badly screwed up you are, and no, no matter how many bad things you've done, uh, forgiveness is possible. Grace is possible. And, and that it's not about working hard. Although we need to live out what we believe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's not what saves us or, or presents us with redemption. In, in our lives or resurrection in our which, lives whatever terminology which seems use. to be how so many of us are and I don't like the phrase wired but uh, we're conditioned I guess to to, to do yeah to, to, to sure. boxes to tick off it's the way we work it's the yeah. way we get paid it's the way relationships often are if you will do something for me I'll you know I'll, I'll pat your back yeah. etc right yeah. it's all all about uh, it's been, and so much of it built on it seems to be yeah. guilt and shame and yeah right yeah, Not so enough, I, I never think, enough. But I think grace and justice balance each other. Mm-hmm. You know, so so grace is saying you're such a screw up, but I love you anyway, and 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 I'm going to do good things for you. Justice says, um, oh, you've been badly screwed up by other people, and by the world in general, and I'm going to make it right for you. I will make it right. And I think, I think if you don't have those two things, you're you're sort of in danger of, of either saying on the one hand, oh, uh, social justice is all that matters, and as long as you know, then we can politicize people's deaths and we can do whatever we, you know, make people pawns in the game as long as we're advancing the cause, um, and and people become kind of political widgets then. Right. Or you can say, well, it's all about grace, and and therefore I, you know, I I, I might be a a total bad guy, but I put my trust in in God, and therefore, I'm going to be forgiven, and I'm going to continue to be a total bad guy. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, so so I think these things these things work together. They're they're not disconnected. They're part of one gospel that Jesus teaches. There's uh, there's so much more, and I hope it's uh, I hope we've got enough people's interest to 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 go out and get the book, resurrecting religion, finding our way. Back to the good news, Greg Paul. Um, are you working on anything new right now? Yeah, I'm working on a couple of things. I've actually got a deal for a novel, which I'm really excited about. Um, it's, a, it's a brand new press. It doesn't even have a name yet, so we're kind of working on that. And, uh, and I've got another book that I'm, I'm working on. I don't know when it'll be out. Probably another two or three years. But um, it's called the working title is Queer Prophets. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> Can I get an advanced copy? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. I love I love yeah. titles too, yeah. right? I, you got a subtitle for it yet? I'm um, still working on that one. Well, it, it's, it's kind of, yeah, but kind of a working title. It's, yep. It can be long and unwieldy, but some version of, of uh, you know, a straight guy's journey towards um, uh I don't know, better understanding of queer sexuality or, mm. or so on. Yeah. 
accepting. Well, look, look, looking, looking forward to it. Uh, we've been talking with Greg Paul today about his uh, latest book, Resurrecting Religion. You can get it now at your local bookstore or online from Nav Press. Greg, thanks. Uh, we just barely scratched the surface. You realize that, right? Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> thanks. We can do it again. We will. <laughs> thanks, Dave.